welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, and I'm so excited to be presenting part two of the origin story. Uh, part one was uh, with my mother, Rhonda Dostal, and so today is part two with my dad, Dave Dostal, who uh, is also a retired educator. And so I'm so excited to have him on the podcast today to uh, ask him some questions because uh, I feel like uh, many of the, the things that I have grown into have a lot to do with uh, both my parents. And so, uh, Dad, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Fine, thank you. <laughs> a man of few words. So we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get going on this. Uh, why don't you start off by telling us uh, a little bit about yourself, like how you grew up and how you got into education and uh, what you've been doing since you've been retired. Well, I come from a very large family, 11 siblings, had older siblings that went into education, into teaching, so I guess that was my goal or my mission just to, to follow them and, and go along with that. So, uh, didn't have a lot of money or a lot of, a lot of love, not, not, that's wrong. Didn't have a lot of money growing up and stuff like that, but we had big family love, so that worked out real well. Huh? And of course, my brother that was two years older than me, he went to Milford Junior College for two years and then he went on to Kearney so I was graduating from high school, I said, well, I just want to go out there with him and follow him. And we both played football out there together and, and, uh, and decided that, you know, this teaching, I like working with kids, so I had to go into teaching. So. And so you were an industrial technology teacher. It's now skilled in technical sciences. The old name is just shop. But how, why did you choose working in a shop. Why, why, why was that a passion of yours? Well, I, have, I think I have a God-given ta talent to, to work with my hands. And the more I work with my hands, it seems that the better I get, not, not bragging, but it seems like I get better at it. And when I was teaching, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to, to work on stuff because I was teaching instead of um, going off the side and working with it. But now that I'm retired, we have moved into a, a, an area in Arizona where they have a fabulous wood shop. So I go down there for four to five hours every day and play with the machines and I call it husband daycare. <laughs> and and I, I'm learning, even though I taught it for 35 years and I've been down there 11 years, I'm still learning stuff every day from, from other people that, that have come in and, and do their thing. So. It's, it's, it's just the best world. I'm living my dream on. That's awesome. So I think one of the things that uh, I, one of, one of the stories that I remember most growing up 
uh, is, and I think it's where I get a, a lot of my work ethic is, you, uh, you were always working, whether it was teaching during the day or even in the summers when um, you're doing side projects, finishing basements, uh, from just the littlest of age when I was probably too young to be doing anything other than messing up concrete work and that sort of thing and eating donuts or falling asleep in the car, but uh, to later on carrying drywall and just being a helper on jobs. I think I get a lot of my work ethic from you, which I admire, but what is, what is, what prompted you, what, what gave you that drive to always want to be doing something? Well, it seems like I think when we were growing up, everybody was always expected to work. Even my oldest brother, Bob, who was a chemical engineer, he went to Lincoln, Nebraska, University of Nebraska, and got a chemical engineering degree. But every weekend, he had to come back home, drive 70 miles back home to work in the restaurant, in the bar area that my dad owned. And even though he was going to school five days a week, he still had to come home and work. And it just seemed like that's all we knew was work. And I can't ever remember my dad going on a vacation I mean, that's all he worked. He, he was a, a restaurant owner, a bar owner, and he was, he was up there at six o'clock every morning, and he didn't get home until one o'clock at night the next morning, so very long hours. And later on in his life, when he still had to own the bar, he would come home and take a little nap in the afternoon, but still long days that I guess you, you, you look at that and you're expecting it to work. So that's what we did. And so all your siblings are that way too, aren't they? Basically, yes. <laughs> Even the girls. Even the girls. Even the girls. So let me let me follow up on that one then too, because uh, again, uh, you talked about your large family, and I just think it's fascinating, especially for for people who don't necessarily know you or uh, haven't had the experience of being around uh, the Dostal clan, because that's what it is. It's a huge just get together, but. Can you share one of your favorite stories growing up in a family of 11 kids? What's, what's, what's the one favorite story that you love telling people from when you were growing up? I've, I've known a lot of them, but what's, what's, what's the well, favorite are, one? There are a lot of stories, but my mom was always, uh, she always had a shroud for money and, and stuff. So this, this, she got this one idea, that they, they, she read in the paper that if you grow cucumbers, the uh, company from South Dakota would come down and, and they harvest the cucumbers and, and make pickles on them. So we, uh, my mom thought we would take a third of an acre and, and, and of course they, they showed us how to plant the cucumbers and uh, a third of an acre. So every, every other day you had to pick a third, half of that third of an acre and we'd always get, uh, you know, seven, seven, like seven bushels of pickles to take down and they grade and, and my mom would get a check for like $11, and, and that was big money then. And I still remember that, of course, if you, how, can you, how can you go through a whole patch, and the next two days later you come back, and, the, and you got slicers that are 10 inches long, and cucumbers grow so fast. So you can't take a day off. So every day you were out there picking pickles and cucumbers. And I still remember I worked on where they created the cucumbers, and this, this other family, they lived out in the country. They, they planted two acres of cucumbers. And they had to pick an acre every day, the, the mom and dad and the four kids. And I, I always had to wait because they never brought their 
truck, big truck and a trailer in until about 10 o'clock at night. But they'd bring about 110 bushels of pickles in every day. And of course, they'd take about 40 back home because a lot of them were slicers. The, the, the small pickles they used for sweet pickles was the big payer, but they would get a check for about $125 every day. And, and, but they had to work all 10, 12 hours every day picking Every day, and you, and you can't take a day off, otherwise you've got 200 bushels of slicers. Oh my gosh. But the, that's kind of, the, the, but there's so many stories when you, when you think about it. In a big family, you, you get so many great stories that you, that you love to tell. And, yeah. But. Well, that, thank you. For, I, I actually hadn't heard that one. I mean, I've heard about the, uh, I've heard the story about when uh, you had your little sister in the, uh, in the vehicle oh, and yeah. you tried to. <laughs> Trying to trying to get the clutch to get pulled, and she ended up driving off. I've heard about uh, potatoes and the one. I've heard all those stories. Uh, oh, yeah. But I think the one that uh, you know, relating it back to the whole purpose behind this podcast. And so I'm going to share a story that I remember. Uh, just it, it kind of grabbed my attention on why and solidified why I wanted to become an educator. But I remember uh, in high school. Uh, you had had a part-time job. You always had a job. You were always working, whether it's running the clock at uh, games or uh, you worked at Sears for a while. But I remember one time sitting at the table. Keep, and, in, mind, keep in mind, right, that working here took time away from your kids. Huh? Uh, it did, but it, it also gave me an opportunity to, to see you through a different lens. And this is where this story kind of really resonated with me was we're sitting at a table and uh, you had brought home a whole bunch of Craftsman ratchets that needed to get fixed. Yeah. And I think it was like 25 cents a ratchet. You just, we'd had to replace the, the innards of it. And no, I, I actually got a dollar a ratchet. You got a dollar a ratchet for everything that fixed and then they would go back and they'd resell those, right? Well, they wouldn't resell them. It was serious policy that if you brought a ratchet in that didn't work, they would either give you a new one of the same kind or a rebuilt one. Okay. And, and of course, I had, they had stacks and they had boxes and boxes before I started the job of ratchets that needed to be fixed. So it's a lot easier to fix those rather than give them a new one. Right. So. Well, so you would bring those those ratchets home, and uh, we'd have them on the table, and you taught me how to how to fix the insides, and I didn't realize you were making a dollar a ratchet on that. Otherwise, I would have tried to get in on that gig, but I didn't. Uh, but we were we were uh, we were fixing those things, and it was at that point that I remember uh, you got a phone call. Now this was I think this was pre I mean pre cell phones. It may have been a Nokia cell. I can't remember, but you got a phone call. And you told me that uh, you needed to step away for a second uh, from, from building the ratchet because you needed to talk to this person. And so uh, I just sat at the table and I was continuing, but I, I listened to your conversation. And what I gleaned from it was that it was a former student of yours that had called you up that uh, you had had in your shop class and is now working in some cabinet making business. And they were asking you, about a specific skill that you had taught them and just were trying to problem solve something. But again, I didn't hear the entire conversation. I just heard what you were talking about. And the thing that really resonated with me was that, you know, here is a student, former student of yours, that's calling you years later, is in, the is in a profession now, and still calling you back to, to gain insight. And it was at that point, I was like, 
you know, I'd always known you as a dad. I didn't have you as a teacher, but I was like, how powerful is that, that a former student, after they graduated from high school, is calling you back up and that, that relationship is still there. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, 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 how, did that how did that transpire? What did, what did, did you do that with a lot of kids? No, you, you didn't do it with a lot of kids, but you know, you probably get maybe one kid every one or two years. So over a lifetime of, of teaching, you might have a couple dozen of them that you stay in contact with. And this particular one I think you're talking about is, is that when I had him in class, he, he, he had some knowledge already, but he, he needed to be fine-tuned a little bit. And so after we'd gone over the machines and been showed him some, the best, I found out later, the best thing you can do with those kinds of kids is just leave them alone and let them go. Because they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna do the job no matter whether you're there or not. Well, this kid graduated and, and he, he, he went to a trade school and, and then he started working in a cabinet shop. And I, I actually worked in the, his cabinet shop because he needed something to work. And I, I learned a lot about that, about the cabin making. But since then, he's opened his own business and his son works with him, but he's in a great demand because this guy was a true craftsman from, from the get-go. I mean, he, he would fine tune stuff that, that kind of like reminds me of myself, the, the perfection that you, you have to have to be a cabin maker because uh, people look at, you know, you look at cabinet work and they'll say, you know, that's good, but this is better, you know. And he was one of those rare, rare students. But you, you get when you when you teach for thirty-five years, you're going to run into kids like that. And I guess those that that's what makes it worth it. You teaching when kids come back and ask you the, the question, or it means that you made some impact on their life. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so the reason I bring that up is, you know, at at the time. I'm sure you probably didn't think anything of it. I mean, you were just having a conversation with a former student who was asking you for yeah. uh, asking you a question. But you know, when when you hear that your son heard this conversation and was able to uh, translate that into his own language and really find uh, the passion for teaching just based on that, when you, when those stories are shared back with you and you get to reflect a little bit. What does that mean to you? Like when you have students who think that much of you that they feel comfortable enough calling you up later on and telling you that you made a difference. What does what does that do to you? Well, it just it just makes you feel good that that you all your years of teaching that that you made an impact on a few students because you know there wasn't a day in thirty five years that I didn't want to get up and get fired up and go to school and you know. You, the, the, the sad thing about it, there were a lot of teachers there, that, wherever I taught, there were a lot of teachers there that were teaching but didn't like kids. And I asked somebody one time, I said, how can you teach and not like kids? I said, I mean, why, why are you doing it? You're hurting the kid. The kid can, can read, read through you like a, and then if you, if you like the kids, the kids are gonna like you and, and it's gonna be a job that, that you're gonna enjoy all your life, so. So let me, uh, I'm going to follow up on that because uh, when mom was on the podcast, she said the exact same thing. If you don't like kids, why are you teaching? I mean, find something better to do. Uh, how did, how was that? I mean, I saw it because you weren't my teachers, you were my parents, but then I later learned, you know, you, you were teaching me in another way. How was it growing up with a spouse who is also a teacher? How did, how did that work? 
Or did it work? <laughs> it worked because you're still together, obviously. It's two years. <laughs> that means you guys got to, I guess, you kids kind of learn from us because we were always working on something, either schoolwork or otherwise. So that means you were expected to do that because I was saying, well, you didn't know anybody, but it says, well, mom and dad are doing that, doing schoolwork or doing studying, and I'm supposed to do it. So we never really had to get after you to, to study. Of course, I don't know how much studying you guys did anyway. <laughs> Jamie seemed to get A's, A's no matter whether she studied or not. And so she didn't have to study, but... Uh, and just for the listener, Jamie is my oldest sister. I have a second older sister named Lynn, uh, and then my youngest sister, Christine, who will all be on the podcast at some point, so you'll get to, get to hear their sides of the story as well. But, so, yes, living, living in that world, um, that was... It was, it was truly unique because, again, I got to see my parents come home from the job where they've been teaching all day, but then um, your parenting style took on very a very similar approach to uh, the, the way that I imagine that you taught as well. Um, I want to ask you about another story, too, just because I think it's funny. Uh, you told me one time... Um, and I've used this with other people every time I tell them that my father is a, uh, was an industrial tech teacher. Uh, you told me a story one time about uh, like the first day of class when kids came into class and, and your safety is obviously key in all of that. And you have, to, you have to go over the safety procedures and all that stuff. But you told me a story once about one of the main rules that you had in your class. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing that with everybody, what that rule was, if you know what I'm talking about. If, some, if someone loses a finger, everybody loses a finger? Yes. No. <laughs> you know, they, they, they kind of looked at me when I said that. And I said, I said, I said you, you see these 10 fingers? I still have them after 35 years, so that means safety is big. And so, I mean, I see it now, we got, we got 800 members in our wood shop down at, uh, at Sun City West where, where I go every day and it just scares me to death. My hands just tremble. Some of these people go in there and think they're woodworkers and they're breaking every safety rule in the world and it just scares me to death. And of course if you try to approach them, they get very defensive and they say, I know I've been doing this for 50 years. I said, well you've been doing it wrong for 50 years. <laughs> and so so I, I, guess, I guess I'm still teaching now and, when I when I got in the woodshop, because contrary to belief, we have 800 members, but they're not 800 woodworkers in the shop because some of them are very scary on things they try to do. I keep I keep telling them, I said the machine is not going to jump out and grab you. You have to be keep safety in mind and what what's going to work. And so let me ask you about that because that's kind of where my in my job. Yes, students are, students are at the center of everything, but my job as a principal. Um, most of my job is about teaching adults and you're talking about teaching adults yes. a lot of retirees yes what's the biggest difference between teaching high school kids which you did for 35 years and teaching adults I don't know if there's any any difference in the uh, the the adults especially with with their attitude they they've been they've been getting away with doing something for so long and they never got hurt, so they figured that's the only way to do it, and they don't want to learn a safer way to do it. And I try to explain to them, watch me, watch me, I do it. Now, 
And after I showed them how to do it on a piece of scrap wood, I said, now don't you think this is a little safer than the way you were doing? And usually about 100% of them, not quite 100%, but close, agree with me and says, thank you for that, they thank me. And but some people, no matter what you do, they're not gonna change their ways. And, and you just got, you have to pray, pray for them and hopefully they don't lose a finger on the way. Of course, <laughs> we, we, have, we have five table saws in there and they're all they have probably stop saw, don't they, on that? Saw stops, yeah. Saw stops. So, and what a saw stop is, they have a mechanism that if your finger gets, they also call it a hot dog saw. So if you would take a hot dog and run it up against the blade, the blade five, five times faster than an airbag. So you're not going to get cut on a table saw. And that eliminates a lot of the potential of having accidents. But we still have all these other machines that are not protected that way, and people still get hurt. Wow. So I'm going to transition a little bit just because uh, we kind of got uh, talking about tools and that sort of thing. But um, I remember also, uh, you know, you had a lot of, you had different schools that you taught at growing up. But the one that I remember, it's just so fond. It's such a fond memory. You taught at Tech High School in Omaha and uh, your shop was just huge. And I remember you telling me later on in life that, um, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Tech is now the district office for Omaha Public Schools, but uh, my dad's shop was actually an air, uh, air, airplane hangar during World War II. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to figure that this huge shop. And uh, they ended up closing it down, but I remember at one point uh, they, were, they were getting rid of some of the equipment and that sort of thing, and uh, we ended up having an industrial lathe like steel lathe in the basement of our house in Omaha yeah. that took like six or seven people to move down because it was so heavy. Yeah. And I remember you teaching me how to, uh, to work on that, but that, that leads into the question, out of all the tools and, that you work with on a, on a regular basis, what would you say is your favorite tool that, that you just, that's your go-to all the time? Like you have to use it for everything that you do. Well, I use a table saw for everything I do, but you bring up the lathe, and I, when I was growing up or teaching stuff, I never had a chance to, to work on the lathe. And now we have seven lathes in the shop, and if you don't get there early in the morning, you're not going to get one. But I just love to take a, either a, a board that I glued up to make a bowl, or I just take a log that's been cut off of a tree or, or a branch or something that's been dried and put it on the lathe and turn it out and make a bowl out of it. The, the, the design of the, the grain of the wood, like a like an olive tree, the design in that, make a beautiful bowl out of it. So I just love working on the lathe now. Did that, I mean, just, just in, that, in that short answer, you had demonstrated what I have seen my entire life growing up with you and why, what I admire most about you is um, the passion that you bring into anything that you do. And to be honest, you know, one of the things that, that I've carried on into my own life that you never put it this way, but I, I took it this way is, um, if you're going to do something, don't do it half-ass. That's right. And so um, I have I have approached my work every day with that in mind because I observed you doing that and uh, some of the craftsmanship that you put in to doing. And I know you like to to tinker with things and, and try new things, but um, did that come off in your classroom when you were teaching kids? Could well, yeah. they could they see? I, I imagine they could probably see you and your passion. Well, there's a there's some shop teachers look at their their 
they want to make large projects and something fill the shop and look like they're doing something. My theory on that was, we, you make a lot of smaller projects. That way, the the uh, you don't have to spend a lot of time or a lot of money on it. But whatever you do, whether it's a small project or a medium project, the 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 the, the sanding part or the, the construction part of the sanding part and the finish part are all equal. Because I've seen so many projects that were constructed poorly but sanded and finished perfectly, and projects that have been and vice versa had, were finished. You know, you gotta have you gotta have all the components working together because. You can tell right away if you look at a project, say, that's got a poor finish on it. The finish is just as important as the construction part or the sanding part. If you don't, if you don't. So I stress on my kids is, you know, make it the best you can. And I say, I would never grade projects for my kid because who am I to come along and say that this is an A or this is a B or this is a C? Because you had kids with lots of different talents and say, you you had all the talent in the world, but your project was mediocre when it was done. And here I had a kid that had very little ability, and he just worked his butt off trying trying to make it. And when he came out, it still wasn't as good as yours, but it was the best that he could do. So I can imagine, just based on how schools are set up, that um, you probably had a lot of unique kids that ended up signing up for your class, because typically. Um, like I didn't, I didn't sign up for any shop classes in high school because I knew I was going to get that on the weekends or in the summer working with you. So I we didn't have a lot of shop classes. To sign up for. We didn't have a lot of uh, shop classes to choose from, and you know some schools around the country are getting getting away from that. Although it's, it's becoming in vogue now yeah, to come back is, because it's really sad because you know we need tradesmen to yeah. be able to come and do these things. And so, what did you? Going back to that question of you, you probably had a lot of students that were in your class that maybe weren't really book smart, but they were really, really good with their, uh, hand. with their hands and common sense and that right. sort of thing. So, how did you approach your classroom from a less academic book standpoint to more of a uh, real life relatable piece? Like, how did you how did you engage those kids into like wanting to perform for you and wanting to create something in your classroom? Well, I always try to, you know, I had a, like a mini, even though we didn't have a construction class, I would be, be a, have construction ideas where we would, we would build scale models and we'd have, we'd have, you could lay some block, you could, you could do some pipes, sweating for pipes, plumbing. I kind of introduced them to the world of work where all these opportunities are out there. And of course, like my my, my wife always said, not, not everybody goes to college, and, and a lot of the college kids go, they don't have a job, but I said, you can go to a trade school for, for 18 months and, and come out and have, have a hell of a job or a hell of a career. Because I had a brother that did that, a younger brother that did that, and very successful plumbing, heating, and air conditioning business. So I tried to, uh, the, the school I taught at, you know, very less than 5% of the kids would go on to college, but but that's all the counselors were, were pushing them to, probably because the parents wanted to push them that way. But uh, I said, go to a trade school, or be a fireman, be a policeman, you know. So let me, let me, let me ask you a follow-up then on that too, because just knowing what people who go into those trades can make now on an yeah. hourly rate, 
was there ever a desire on your part? Because they, they make more than teachers now. Yeah. Was there ever a desire for you to maybe go and explore that possibility because you knew that you could make more money doing that and support your family? Well, I think, I think if if I had somebody in high school, a counselor that would guide me that way, I probably would have went that way instead of teaching. Or I might have went into the service and learned a trade like my older brother did. He, he went in the Navy for four years and, and he worked in a motor system and for the Navy for three and a half years on a ship and got out there and he worked for Shell Oil for 35, 40 years. So he, he got a career and didn't have to go to college. But if I probably would have had a counselor and opened the, the opportunity to go to a trade school and build instruction like that or plumbing or heating, I probably would have went that way and I wouldn't have been a teacher. So. Okay. Well, so that, that leads me to my next one is, you know, we are, you know, you've been out of education for, what, 15 years now? Is that close? Something like that? Over 20. Over 20? Jeez, I'm falling behind on this. Um, and as you know, because we've had these conversations on a regular basis, education has changed. The family dynamics have changed. Uh, the pandemic has changed education. Yeah. And so we're in a time right now where we have a ton of teachers who are leaving the profession. Yeah who are just sick of it and don't want the, the pressure that comes along with it. And I think one of the valuable things and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you and mom uh, on this is to, to talk about it from the perspective of somebody who stuck around in the, in the profession for their entire career, yeah. who went through a lot of different highs and lows. I'm sure every day was not a cakewalk, but what could you tell to teachers that are currently in the profession, regardless of what they teach and what level they teach, what advice would you give them based on your years of experience in uh, the education world as a teacher about sticking through and making an impact? Why, why did you do it and why should they? Well, yeah, I think if you're going into teaching, you have to approach each day like it's a new job every day. And get excited about teaching doing something and at the end of the day that's the end of the job and of course you had plans for the next day but each, each day is a new job and and you, you gotta love kids and you gotta love doing it, what you're doing so uh, I mean it's 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 a very rewarding I think profession if you if you think now that we can think back I think both of us my wife and I very happy with what we did and and the kids we taught, and of course, uh, the kids that we raised, they, they got a little of that stuff with, from us too, so I think it's, it's still an exciting profession, but you have to approach it that that's going to be hard work, and you have to approach that each day is a challenge because uh, the kids are going to react different, you don't, you don't know what's going on in their home life, so you have to be a counselor, you have to be a, a some, some place for somebody to have a shoulder to cry on, you have to listen to the kids, you know. It's a, t it's a tough profession, but it's very, very rewarding. Okay. So I got one more question for you. Um, and, I mean, you've, you've shared a lot on this, but uh, two of the important steps in the Own Your Epic process, and I know you haven't read my book, and that's okay, but you read my blog and you kind of understand where my mind uh, goes on this, but two important steps in the Own Your, Own Your Epic process are to curate and cultivate your stories so you can amplify your voice. Uh, you have lived a very long life. You've had a lot of different experiences. 
Um, so you've been able to, and I'm putting you on the spot to think about all of those experiences, but what is that one story, that one important story that has impacted your life so far? What, the one that you constantly go to that like, I've, this, this story sums up me. Sums up you or me? You, you. Oh. It could be from it could be from education, it could be from growing up, but just really uh, puts puts the shine on. This is what helped me develop into the person that I am today. Well, that's kind of tough. I, you know, I get you you got to get excited about the little things in life. I've always done this from from day one, as I remember. You know, I get excited about going to the store or going driving my wife to the doctor and just different different things to do. I guess I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> That's all right. So, well, here, I'll, I'll give you an example. So uh, one of the um, one of the stories that uh, that I that I always come back to and it's primarily from uh, the vantage point of uh, going into administration for teaching. And so uh, Rick Workheiser, who is my first principal, who hired me as an assistant principal. You worked with him yeah. um, at one point, but uh, I think it was after like three or four weeks of being, in, after getting hired as an assistant principal, and I just had an awful like month dealing with student suspensions and, and all of this stuff, and Rick had come by, and uh, he stopped by my office, and uh, he just let me vent for like 30 minutes. I just went off. It was just like word vomit. And uh, when I was done, he just got up and left. Just walked out of my office, didn't say anything. And I just sitting there, what is going on here? You know, I just bared my soul to this guy and all of a sudden he just leaves. And so I was just trying to figure, process that. Uh, and he came walking back and he, not, he, knocked, or he opened my door and he just looked at me and I was like, okay, finally he's gonna tell me something. And he just looked at me and he said, always remember, you wanted this job. Have a nice weekend. And he walked away and I was like, oh my gosh. And so I relive that over and over again so that whenever I am having a bad day at work or if I have a negative interaction with somebody that I always come back and I hear Rick Workheiser's voice in my head saying, always remember you wanted this job. Always remember you wanted this job. Well, that's just kind of like t teaching is you have to, you have to, you have good days where it's just great and say, I'm glad I'm in teaching. And then, and then there's other, other days where you had some trouble, some conflict, conflict with a kid and stuff, and say, geez, why did I ever pick this job? But the, the good days outnumber the bad days, and you just, you just go on, and, and you gotta get excited about your job, and if you're not excited about your job, then, then you should be in that job. It's, I don't know who, who said it one time, if you, if you're doing a job that you you really like to do, you never have to work a day in your life. So true. Well, Dad, uh, for uh, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for taking some time and uh, being on this podcast. I know this isn't like the most comfortable thing in the world. Uh, Mom is way more comfortable in front of a mic, and I'm putting you on the spot. But um, I'm gonna uh, put my part of this onto you because you won't say it, but. Um, you, you, you want to hear my driver ed story? My best driver yes, ed? Let's, let, why don't you tell your driver's ed story? Because my best driver ed story, I used to teach driver ed in the summertime, and I was teaching, out at, teaching in the summertime down at Central High School. Well, I had this boy and girl 
Now, people will say, well, women are bad drivers. Well, I had a boy and a girl who were scared to death of getting in the car and driving. Was this a stick shift or an automatic? It was an automatic. Okay, all right. Big Chevy Impala. Okay. <laughs> so that's when you had to work, put about four and a half hours in behind the wheel. Well, the first three or four times, I took these two kids out and we just drove around the parking lot at Central High School. We did a little conflict work on turns, parking the car, you know, getting started, looking around. So after about the fourth time, I said, okay, these two are ready to go, go out on the road, open road. So we went out of Central Parking Lot. I said, we're just gonna, we're just gonna head north down to Mormon Park and just straight run all the way out there. We're gonna, we're gonna nice cruise out there and come back and build a little confidence in these kids. Well, we, put, we pulled up this one stop sign, and I think it was like 30th and Ames. And we're, we're stopped there, and, and I hear some popping, you know. I said, yeah, it's a couple days before the 4th of July. Kids out with their fireworks and stuff. So I told them, after the light changes, nice and slow. So the light changed, and all of a sudden I realized that here's a gas station over here, and here's four police cars over here, and they're firing back and forth. And I reached over and, and hit that that gas pedal, and I said, holy, I didn't, I didn't say holy moly, but I grabbed the steering wheel, we burned rubber for a lot of block. Kid threw his arms up like that. About two, two, two or three blocks down the road, I said, what happened? And I, I said, all the confidence we built up in the parking lot, I think it's gone, it's out the window. That's awesome. Well, so... <laughs> I love back to the parking lot. But I, I love I love your driver's ed stories because uh, the best driver's ed story that I remember from you is I thought, well, yeah, my dad's a driver's ed teacher, so I'm going to get really good training here. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't – I think uh, the first time I drove, you took me on the interstate. And that You can hear my mom laughing in the background on this, but you took me on the interstate, and I was driving on a Friday night to a basketball game. This is crazy. And then I also remember the time that uh, you said you will learn how to drive a stick shift and you took me up to the Ralston parking lot with my vehicle and made me learn. You said, just drive around in circles until you can get this uh, figured out. <laughs> so I wondered why people paid you to teach driver's ed. I was, I was hoping for that same thing, but I guess, I guess that's the experience I got. So, uh, but we're, we are at the end of time. And so I wanted to just uh, wrap this up by saying, one, I appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. Because again, I know this is not uh, the most comfortable thing in the world, but uh, I felt it was important for, uh, we call this the origin story because uh, for me, this is my origin story that both of my parents were educators. They both have very unique personalities. And I have been the recipient of some great gifts from you and from mom and from you uh, I would say that the greatest gift that I have received from you is uh, the ability to just uh, shut everything out and focus and work hard on something and not give up until the job gets done and I, I had years of watching you do that and uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, I, I cherish most about our relationship and so for that dad i love you thank you so much for for being on the podcast and uh you have any final words to say thumbs up thumbs up well thank you so that was uh own your epic uh this podcast the part two of the origin story with my father dave dostal i uh, hope you all have a great rest of the day uh, please tune in to own your epic 
uh, for further blogs or podcasts, and we'll see you around the next one. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.